Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 218, Creepypasta with Jenna Steber. I feel like I somehow missed out on the creepypasta phase of the internet. Like, I think I was like on the borders of it, but I never got like solely into like, it's 2 a.m. and I am reading creepypastas on the internet. But I was so glad to talk to Jenna about this because she is so much more of an expert on it than I am. It was fascinating. Jenna has a degree in horror, uh, which I in so horror cool. movies and media, which I just think is the most fantastic thing. And uh, was referenced in Next Stop, by the way, anybody who listened to uh, the sitcom that Multitude made last year. And she was just a, a pleasure to talk to. I love her content, her journalism, and it was just a, a pleasure to have her on. So I hope everybody enjoys it just as much as we did. I, I'm sure that they will. I know our listeners, they're going to love it. And I also know how happy I am when I see the new patron emails. So I wanted to make sure we thank this week Erica, Lily, Alicia, Sana, and Miriam, who joined our Patreon, as well as our supporting producer-level patrons, Alicia, Allison, Deborah, Hannah, Jane, Jen, Jessica K, Jessica S, Keegan, Nieselkins, Liz, Megan L, Megan M, Phil Fresh, Polly, Skyla, and Sammy Todd, and those legend-level patrons, Audra, Drew, Jack Marie, Key, Lada, Mark, Morgan, Necro Royalty, Renegade, and BME Up Scotty. Yeah, when they look on the internet and they find creepypasta stories, they're able to find the source of those creepypastas. Oh man, the original source? <laughs> so good. Amanda, speaking of uh, creepy cool stories that we've been reading or watching or listening to lately, what you got? Well, actually, speaking of source material, uh, I just watched my way through Lupin, the new um, heist miniseries on Netflix starring the breathtakingly gorgeous Omar Sy. Mm. It is really interesting in that, like I've talked before about how much I love adaptations of media. Like I love when, you know, they take a book and make it into a really interesting TV show or movie or vice versa, not doing like a one for one adaptation, but making it into something new. And this definitely fits the bill where the uh, Lupin as as you might pronounce it if you are not making a self-conscious gesture out of French accent like I am. Mm. Those books are real. And in the fictional universe of the show, they're also real books. And Lupin the guy is inspired by Lupin the character. Um, and so it's as if, you know, the Sherlock Holmes books existed and there's currently a detective that read them and was inspired by them and is like putting those lessons into practice. So I thought it was so much more interesting than a generic kind of like modern reboot of some kind of well-known franchise. And it's also an incredibly good heist series. So part one is out now. Part two is coming in the summer. I hate that it ended on a cliffhanger, but it was <laughs> so entertaining that I will say that it is worthwhile and really made me miss, uh, miss you know, the one time I visited Paris. I, I want to go back. So that is my recommendation. Now all I can think about is someone in real life being like, no, my name is Sherlock Holmes now and I'm going to solve all the mysteries. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's pretty good stuff. It's very good. Speaking of very good stuff, Amanda, Multitude's been putting out some quality, quality stuff lately. I think so, too. It's extremely exciting. I would love to talk about the the newest show that is a, a Multitude production. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that, Amanda? Yes. So Multitude has shows that are members of our collective, which everybody knows everything about. But as we've become a, a real podcasting company, we've also made some partner shows. So last year we released My 90s Playlist, um, all about 90s music. And this year, I am so excited to say that we have just launched a partner show with Nicole Perkins, who is a writer and poet and co-creator 
creator of Thirst Aid Kit, which is genuinely like if I had to make a list of the 10 most important podcasts to podcasting, Mm -hmm. it is absolutely one of them. Um, And she is so skilled and so fun to work with. And the show that we made together is called This Is Good For You. And it is Nicole talking to people about the things that bring them pleasure, the things that make them happy and giving everybody else permission to enjoy things in their life, too. I'm super proud of it. And you can find it anywhere that your podcasts are listened to by searching This Is Good For You. I know there's an embroidery episode coming up soon, and I'm very excited about that personally. Yes. Nicole's known for talking about, you know, sexy topics on the Internet, and the show covers both sexy and non-sexy stuff that brings you pleasure. So I am super excited for the the range that these episodes cover, the interviews of the people that she gets to talk to, and just, you know, partnering with somebody else to help make their vision reality is a really exciting and kind of new thing. Um, So I hope that everybody enjoys it. I'm sure that they will, and I'm sure they're also going to enjoy this episode. Fantastic. Well... I'll get out of the way. That was a perfect segue. Everybody oh, enjoy you. episode 218, Creepy Pasta with Jenna Stieber. Oh, also in this episode, we make a reference to Adam Ellis's Dear Daniel series. We meant Dear David. Sometimes we don't realize we made a mistake until after we listen to the episode. So uh, we know we got it wrong. Sorry. I am going to start by just asking you to introduce yourself, and then we'll we'll get right into it. My name is Jenna Stieber, and I'm a video producer over at Polygon.com, and I have a master's degree in media and culture, which specialized in video game cultures and horror media. That is the coolest Ooh. just thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> I hear that a lot, but you know what? I love to hear it, so thank you. <laughs> Listen, you spent the time and the dedication (laughs) in getting that degree. You should hear that all the time. (laughs) Thank you. I did a very small version of that, which is my my senior thesis uh, of my undergrad degree, which is the one I have, was going to be on something like historical literature related. And I was like, you know what? I'm deeply depressed. Uh, and all I'm doing is reading memoirs by people who moved out of cities to farms. So let oh. me just do a little survey of like homesteader literature. And then that's what I did. And it was mm-hmm. great. That rules. That's a great topic for a thesis. It was very exciting. Uh, and uh, yeah, I feel like we're coming back around as we get to the 10 year anniversary of that thesis of like more people deciding to move for different reasons and uh, be self-sustaining, which, you know, let's reclaim it from the prepper movement. That sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, I did constitutionality of U.S. government involvement in religious affairs. Damn, that's like legit. Yeah. And then I just read an article this morning about how Celestial Seasonings Tea was founded by a bunch of people who believed in like an alien eugenics Christianity cult. So that's fun. That is fun. God, okay. (laughs) I look forward to reading that. Yes. I'll send you the article when we're done. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Is it going to make me not love Celestial Seasons though? Um, you know what? It's owned by like a major corporation and the guy involved who believes in eugenics is no longer getting money from them. So you can still buy it. It's okay. It's just like, know that those quotes come from a weird book where they're like, Adam and Eve were superiorly uh, genetic aliens Uh who are going Uh to wipe out other races. And you're like, oh, no. (laughs) Amazing. God. Well, we are here to talk about not just (laughs) alien eugenics and how bad they're bad. Uh, and teas that we enjoy, which I'm prone to, uh, to Harney and Sons, love them, mm. little local uh, local faves. But instead, a part of the internet that I always like, I think I, I get the gist. I have like an impression of the meaning, but I think there's so much more there that I don't know. Uh, it was your su- suggestion, Jenna, and I'm so happy you did. It's creepypasta. Creepypasta. How do you say it? Is there a way to say it? Um, you have to whisper it as though peeking okay. out from around a corner. <laughs> creepypasta. Yes, the ASMR of it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I wanted to talk about creepypasta just because I've been thinking about it recently about how... So the the phrase creepypasta is derived from the phrase copypasta, which is just uh, an internetism for copy and paste. <laughs> I was thinking about back to when everything on the internet was forum-based, and that was all your social contact was forums or AIM. And in order to share these sort of stories, you literally just had to copy and paste just giant blocks of text. And that was sort of how these stories were shared. But like, creepypasta almost doesn't exist anymore because everybody just screenshots because you yeah. can just be on your phone and you can just snap a screenshot. And and I was thinking about this, especially because it's like, if you're on one social media, you're now on all social media because I hop on Twitter yeah. and I see screenshots from Reddit and Tumblr and I see TikToks that people have uploaded and Instagram posts that are cross-posting. And like, that's true for every social media. So it's like creepypasta essentially no longer exists as a phenomenon. Now, like, is it in theory still a phenomenon in but now it's the screen sharing instead of the copy and pasting like is it just like by another name you know what i mean yeah i think to a certain extent but i also think like the essential idea behind creepypasta is that it's like an urban legend so it's not just like a story it's a story that is being presented as this thing really happened to me the person who is posting this and the person who's posting it is probably not the person who wrote it because again it's it's creepypasta you copied and pasted it onto some new forum but there is something unique about creepypasta in that it is if I were going to say this academically, so I'm going to say it academically first, it, it has this this aesthetic of verisimilitude where it, it is doing things in, in the medium to make it feel more real. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we don't even have that anymore because you're just people just take for granted, I think, that you see something on social media and it's true. I guess like fake screenshots are sort of the same thing, but those are so earnest. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not like fun urban legends. They're just like, here's something that's news, but it's not really news. Yeah, I, I feel like you get a lot of those too with like every once in a while, I'll still see people sharing like notes, app screenshots and being <laughs> like, my cousin was almost abducted at a mall in Minnesota. And you're like, I mean, probably not to be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Maybe don't spread that misinformation about like people tucking uh, white cloth underneath their windshield wiper so that they have to get out of the car and take it off or what have you. Yeah. I mean, like urban legends still exist. Yes. For sure. Uh, but I feel like there was just this moment where there was a moment like post Blair Witch Mm -hmm. when Creepypasta really first began. And it was very much like a found internet object where it wasn't like I am trying to spread this misinformation. It's just like, oh, here's this weird forum post. Maybe people will find it and it'll go viral and then it'll be the next Slender Man. Yeah, I mean, virality was so different back then, right? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it was, I feel like it was less a goal. It's just a thing that happened. It was before we knew that virality was like an internet phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, all of us weren't in the same place. Like there was no place where all of the internet was, except perhaps for a little while, the AOL homepage. But even that, <laughs> there were plenty of people who, you know, did not access the internet that way. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So tell us a little bit about what about what makes a creepypasta. Like, are people altering the copy and paste as they paste it? Or is it like, hey, this story ends up being kind of viral because people just repost it without attribution in other places? 
I mean, I think both of those are are sort of under the subheader of creepypasta. Like when I think about the really, really early creepypasta that like baby Jenna on her first AOL account on her dial up modem was reading, it was stuff mm. like uh, like Ted the Caver, uh, which was like an angel fire site that was a like... Um, it just this taking me back. Just this guy who was like, yeah, I know Angel Fire, right? <laughs> and a little bit of a flashback. GeoCities baby. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's like pre GeoCities even. It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was just like this site of this guy who was like, yeah, I was digging in this cave and here's some weird pictures and I saw some weird phenomenon. Is like maybe this is supernatural, but it spread far beyond the bounds of just this weird passive little internet site. And then you had stuff like the Dayoneta house that came after this that was a more like purposeful attempt to sort of dig into these. But then I I think you also have just like Slenderman's a weird example because Slenderman was a purposeful creation of people wanting to go viral. Mm -hmm. So I think that's sort of this weird change in creepypasta. But a a lot of this early stuff was just like... Like if you think about like early chain letters or internet emails, but they were Mm -hmm. creepy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean some of those chain letters were creepy it's like oh you're gonna like the bloody mary you're gonna die if you don't send this to 10 people kind of thing for yeah. sure yeah or like the like it's really like drawing on the energy of like both the blair witch but also like the ring because the yeah. ring was just a chain letter right <laughs> basically it was a chain video cassette yeah. to be quite honest <laughs> And what are the um, features of a story that is like delicious creepypasta bait? Mm. You know, this might be kind of a broader conversation about urban legends and sort of Internet virality as well, which I'm super here for. But like, what do you think really grabs that people and makes them want to share it? That's a great question. I, I, I feel like a lot of the like a unique thing to creepypasta is how many of them are based on like weird old nostalgia. Mm. So a lot of them are like, like you have like Suicide Mouse, which is like an account of a video of a weird Mickey Mouse uh, animation that was supposed to, if you watched it through, it was supposed to kill you. Again, like very The Ring vibes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so there's a lot of that or like, gosh, there's a, like a, about a billion Pokemon game <laughs> creepy pasta. Really? But they're very good though. They're all so good. I mean, I love them. Those are my faves. Uh or like or like Ocarina of Time. They were written long after those games came out. So it was the sort of like looking back at these old objects of our youth and being like, what if they were evil though? <laughs> <laughs> what if evil though? What if yeah. thing that we liked in the past actually evil? Yeah. And so yeah. I think there's something about that that is just like the the nostalgia factor is just such a big part of it. The familiarity just warped. Yeah, for sure. I I would love to kind of talk about, just because this is uh, kind of on my mind right now, the idea of these stories being created and like these people obviously know this is a work of fiction, but then it sort of takes on its own life when people start kind of being like, no, I saw it on the internet. I don't know where it came from, but it must be a true thing because I saw it there and they had news articles and sources and stuff like that, which obviously can be faked because it's the internet. But I, I just like love this idea of it going from something obviously created to be fiction and then becoming something that you're not quite sure it is anymore. Yeah. I think creepypasta is such this weird combination where it's like, if you see somebody spread creepypasta, it's impossible to know if they are in on it Mm -hmm. and are aware that this is a fictional piece of internet lore, or if they're like, but maybe this is true. (laughs) 
maybe Very this genuinely. is real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fascinating because it it, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it spreads one way or the other whether or not the intentionality behind it is. All of these creepypastas obviously start out as fictional pieces of writing. Mm-hmm. And then they just spread in ways that obscure that even more. So like, uh, I... One of my favorites is Candle Cove, which Mm -hmm. is this story about, uh, it's written as a series of forum posts. Oh, incredible. uh, That are just a whole bunch of different people piling on, which already, great. I love that. Um, But the Mm -hmm. idea is that it was this person who was like, do you guys remember that old cartoon show called Candle Cove that was about um, those puppets that were on on the sea? And then there was the skin taker was the villain and he would take people's skin and knit it into clothes (laughs) and like just really hard stuff and then and then it ends with somebody being like yeah i asked my mom about that and she was like yeah you would just sit down at the same time every day and watch the static on the television for 30 minutes so creepy so i mean it has like a very classical fictional structure in that it's like there is this opening question hey what is this thing people piling on and then you've got this shocking twist ending that makes it so grabby because it was just like well-written fiction Yeah, and that's such a classic internet thing where someone will be like, hey, y'all remember when like this was a thing? And people will agree. And then other people outside of it, like who aren't in on the joke or aren't in on the fact that like this is a story and we're collaboratively telling the story together are all of a sudden like, I've never heard of this. Let me Google it. Like what what's going on here? It's fascinating. I love it so much. <laughs> me too. I love the internet creating myths. <laughs> it's like there's a continuum between uh, Slender Man and like, Kazam, Shazam, what is that movie called that people yeah. think Shazam. they remember? Yeah. Shazam, yeah. And and the creepypasta is like a very large portion of the middle there. Yeah. yeah. It's like that weird, it's the self-made Mandela effect, I feel <laughs> yes. like is a good way to describe <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. That's a great, yeah, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think too, so many of these kind of, not traffic in, but like make smart use of tropes that we expect such that it like, it feels familiar or at least plausible because, you know, we've all heard and grown up on so many stories of like, oh yes. And like then the marionette doll was, its eyes were open, you know, or yes. And then uh, she blah, blah, blah. And then like she, you know, used the Game Boy and then died. Um, and <laughs> it's, it just makes it, it makes it, it fits already in sort of context and narratives that we have in our, in our heads. So we sort of want to believe it. And for me too, like finding, you know, posts like that in the early internet, like the pre-social media internet, it really was like, you know, they don't want you to know this information (laughs) about, you know, like queer sexual health, but here it is. Or, you know, uh, I can't talk about this, uh, you know, my, my deep, deep love of like, you know, whatever fandom I was into at the time in people, you know, in my high school, but I can talk about it with people online. And so it was more of a sense of like uncovering gems and like we were all just kind of mining for like interesting stuff that was out there that I did presume to be true most of the time. Whereas now the internet is just like another location, which devoid of, you know, context or fact checking or like whatever it is, makes it a very different, I think, kind of environment. They were like an environment where very different kind of things thrive than it used to. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it I think like screenshots are such a weird big part of that because it again, super easy to fake a screenshot, but People mm-hmm. are much more willing to look at a screenshot and say, oh, this is real. This is something that's really happening. Part of why Candle Cove is such an interesting example of that is that the copy and pasted format doesn't work for that because hypothetically somebody would have had to go in and like strip out a bunch of HTML and like do like if you look at a Candle Cove 
a, a copy of Candle Cove and as it's written out, like it's clearly been written. <laughs> like it clearly hasn't been copy and pasted. Mm. But like if if that existed in modern times, it would be like a Twitter thread that somebody screenshotted and then posted on the internet and then you couldn't ever find it. And, it, and the person would be like, oh yeah, they probably deleted it. But it's like, it never existed. <laughs> or those mile long Tumblr posts where people keep adding on in the replies. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then a screenshot for that would travel. Uh, it would be start on Tumblr, a screenshot would travel to Twitter and to Reddit. And then it would tumble, like follow, fo- find its way back to Tumblr. And it would just be like, nobody would ever source check it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And Tumblr was so good for the origins of those kinds of things because you can change your URL and then everything breaks and no one can find you. Yeah. Uh, and it is, it is so like, there have been very smart things written about that mechanic, but there are such liberating parts of it. And also as like a, a person that loves metadata, like the reason why I love TikTok is because the metadata is so strong and it lets you browse in a way that Tumblr never did. But also that meant that there was all kinds of like of the moment and, you know, my small social, you know, grouping could enjoy Tumblr in a way that others couldn't. Like I got it when you changed your URL or you did it for smart reasons, you know, and about the fandom that you're concentrating in now. So I'm just, I don't know, I'm kind of nostalgic for that. At the same time, I realize nostalgia is almost always a trap. <laughs> I mean, what you descri- described though would be like the perfect topic for a creepy pasta. Mm. Like I heard this girl disappeared. She changed her Tumblr URL. <laughs> Absolutely. Or like those two people were the same and then both of them changed their URL to the same thing. And it would be very easy to like make your blog look like that. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. (laughs) Oh, man. The Internet's wild, huh? I was also thinking about because I feel like a lot of creepypastas that I remember also have like origins beyond them being written on the Internet. Like I feel like I saw very early on the... um, the Green Ribbon story, which oh, if you yeah. are listening and don't know that story, it is about like a man who marries a woman and she always wears this green ribbon around her neck and she's like, hey, listen, we can stay married for as long as you want. <laughs> always always great. That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> uh, we, can, we can be married. It's going to be great. I have one request and it's never try to take off the green ribbon around my neck. What an allegory. I love it. (laughs) And they live, you know, together until she's in her deathbed. And she's like, all right, now you can take my ribbon off. And he does. And then her head falls off because it's only attached. And like, I feel like I saw that story on the internet all the time and had no context for like where it started. I'm like, oh, this could easily have been written on the internet during my lifetime. But no, it's like a weird French story from the 1800s that was then popularized by Washington Irving. The internet takes things that existed in the past and like retells them in ways that make them seem new and fresh, but really they're the same stories over and over again. And I love that. That's one of my favorite (laughs) things about the internet. We've all read a novel that we didn't realize was based on Pride and Prejudice. I mean, come on. Everybody has. <laughs> I'll watch a YouTube series that we didn't realize was based on Pride and Prejudice until they started making really elaborate references to it. And you're like, oh, okay, I got it now. Yes. Darcy, a name that I does mean, not yeah, exist elsewhere. It, it's within like human nature to to tell stories and retell stories that we really like. I mean, that's fan fiction is the best stuff and it's it's just like you're you're finding this core that you find interesting and and repeating it and that's true for spooky stories too it's why the vampire yet haunts us (laughs) (laughs) i mean the thing that differentiates like a story like that from like an urban legend is i think the medium and the thing that separates a creepypasta from an urban legend is also the medium. But like it, the point of an urban legend is not that in the 1800s or uh, I actually recently reread a version of the Green Ribbon story in I, I think a short story collection, I think called Her 
bodies, her body and other parties, I think it was called. Yes. And I was just like, hey, it's the ribbon story. Yay. A classic. (laughs) By previous guest, Carmen Maria Machado. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so glad you had that on hand. I was like, should I Google? (laughs) Um, No, she's amazing. It was a great, it was a great collection. I definitely recommend it if you like spooky stories. But there's a difference between like an urban legend, which is a thing that happened to you or your best friend or more likely your mom's cousin, right? I mean, like I remember growing up in here, I'm from the St. Louis area, which is where the original exorcism story took place. And I remember hearing from my best friend's mom that she had been to the room where the exorcism took place. And so it was just like this weird, there's this thing that separates those stories, which is like, no, this is real. And there's there's eyewitness accounts of it. And then creepypasta is just that, but on the internet. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. And I mean, like, the internet loves retelling things that already are super creepy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And Spirits listeners will get 10% off your first month of counseling at betterhelp.com spirits. Now, Julia, I was talking to my therapist last night, mm-hmm. not the faith therapist, my real therapist. Okay, whose good. name's also Amanda. And so every time we end a call, I get to be like, thanks, Amanda. And she's like, thanks, Amanda. And it, it makes me cheery. Plus, she can't steal your name as a fae because you have the same name. Cannot steal my name, which is always extremely helpful. I mean, she has it, but she hasn't stolen it. We have like co- co-property. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was really convenient because, A, you know, I, I meet with her on Sunday nights, which is a time time that you would typically not be able to access traditional therapy, but it's what works best for my schedule, um, which is awesome. And then also she was saying like, hey, you know, I was talking about something I'm going to do this week. And she's like, you know, afterward, like if it goes well, let me know if you need to schedule some extra time. And like you want to just, you know, talk about like how it went and whatever, uh, let me know. And so that's what I love most about BetterHelp is that flexibility and ability to message my therapist. So even in between calls or, you know, when I'm not seeing her, if I have to see her kind of at, you know, a sort of last minute way, it's really easy to get in touch. And that's just kind of part of the app. I don't feel weird about like texting or emailing my therapist. And BetterHelp will help you start communicating with a licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help, but just professional counseling done securely online, no matter where in the world you are. They also have a ton of different kinds of expertise, which might not be locally available in many areas, even here in New York City. And again, BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So if you go to betterhelp.com slash spirits, you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling. That is better H-E-L-P.com slash spirits. Amanda, I can always tell when I didn't get the best night's sleep because I wake up, I'm lethargic. Sometimes I wake up really early and then I eat breakfast and then I immediately go back to sleep because my body is like, no, 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 you tried to get up, but it's not going to (laughs) happen. But those are the nights where I don't have Calm to help me fall asleep and stay asleep. And Calm is the app designed to help you ease stress and get the best sleep of your life. When you relieve anxiety and you improve your sleep, you feel so much better about like life in general, but also like during the day. They have a whole library of programs designed for healthy sleep, like soundscapes and guided meditation and over a hundred sleep stories that are narrated by people like Kelly Rowland and my my sweet mom, Laura Dern. Laura Dern. I've heard that over 85 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds and get better sleep. So for listeners of the show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash spirits. That's 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library and new content is added every week. Yeah, get started today at calm.com slash spirits. That's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash spirits. That's the show that you're listening to. It's us. Wow. 
Amanda, I have been absolutely loving the most recent delivery that I've gotten from Third Love. Normally, Amanda, I used to be like a, a clasp in the back kind of person, but I've been really yeah. loving the the front clasp. It's way more comfortable for whatever reason. And because it's a Third Love bra, you know it is a extremely comfortable bra. No tags, got those non-slip straps, good stuff. Yeah, and it was super easy finding the right bra for me because of their Fit Finder quiz. They just launched this new thing called the Fitting Room, which is a new improved version of the quiz that we all know and love. And it focuses on size and breast shape and current fit issues and your own personal style to deliver bras and underwear that are perfect for you. So now I can tell them like, hey, I actually really like those front clasps. Thank you again. Let's do more of those. They really like stand behind their products too, which I really love. If you don't love it, exchanges and returns are always free and they have a team of fit stylists who are available via chat or email to answer all of your questions. Isn't that great that you can message somebody to be like, hey, this was, you know, off in these specific ways. What would you suggest? Because anyone who wears a bra knows that it's not just like, oh, size up or down by one. There's the cup, there's the style, there's the band. There are so many variables that could make the bra better fitting and more comfortable for you. So having a person to help with that is amazing. They also have this new collection that I'm kind of obsessed with, which is the Ombre Mesh. It's like a kind of throwback vintage look. It's got this silky layered mesh over a vintage treatment of their like timeless new collection. And I I love it. It's just, it's so pretty. I like feeling pretty in my underwear. It is absolutely beautiful. They uh, they put some, some pictures in the copy and I'm just like, yeah, damn, that's beautiful. So Third Love knows that there is a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they are offering our listeners 20% off their first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash spirits now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off. That's thirdlove.com slash spirits for 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. Are there individual creepypastas? If, is that the right noun? Creepypasta stories that you particularly love? I mean, Candle Cove is one of my favorites just because it's had such a weird life. Because, it, I mean, it started off as a text post um, by, by Chris Straub, who is the author. It spun off so that people were like making episodes of it. Like they would make puppets and do like weird marionette or they would fake stills yeah. or stuff or they do like photoshopping stuff. So it, I think it's a, a really fascinating example because it just, it started off as a very earnest creepypasta and then exploded in all these weird ways. I, I don't know if either of you are hashtag gamers or have played <laughs> Control. Slightly. I haven't played Control though. Okay. It's superb. So Control is based on SCP, which is its own quasi creepypasta adjacent sort of thing that we can talk about. Um, yeah. But a thing that happens throughout Control is that you can um, watch these videos that are like real life videos. They are not video game renderings. They are like things that have they actually recorded of marionettes. And mm. it, it's a very it's clearly, clearly a Candle Cove downstream uh, uh, production. And it's just so interesting that this Control, which it has definitely has some spookiness into it, which is not not necessarily a horror game, has has this callback to all of these internet-rich lores, um, including Candle Cove. It's just like, who could have expected that 15 years ago somebody would have typed up this little this series of forum posts and then uh, this is where it travels? It's also wild to me that we know the name of the writer for this specific creepypasta because yeah. I feel like that's not a common thing when it comes to creepypastas. Like these people prefer to remain anonymous because that kind of lends credence to their story in a way. Yeah. And I mean, a lot for a lot of creepypasta, it disseminates so thoroughly on the internet. It's very hard as like a historian or an archivist to track down the origins. I mean, it's another reason why like Slender Man is so interesting because it was like a, oh, I think a something awful forum post. 
if I'm remembering <laughs> correctly, um, where they were like, let's make a viral creepypasta monster. And so they just sat down and they hashed out the lore and they made a bunch of Photoshop images and, and just sent it out into the world. So sometimes you can look at that. And sometimes like Candle Cove, you can say, oh, Chris Traub made this. But a lot of this stuff is just like, some of it might have origins and I just don't know it. But like, I don't know who made suicidemouse.avi. I don't know who wrote uh, a lot of these stuff. And that's the whole point. We don't know. I kind of love that, too, because, you know, just like the Green Ribbon story, we don't know who wrote that. We know who popularized it, but we don't know, like, the first telling of it and where it came from and who started telling the story in the first place. And I think that is an additional very creepy thing about creepypastas is like, yeah, we just don't know. We'll never know. Probably. It's like the um, Amanda, what's the fan fiction Harry Potter one with a. my long black raven hair. My immortal. Yes. My immortal. We'll never know. We'll never know who it was. People will claim it's them, but we'll never know for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Oh, it's so fascinating. And as we move to a, a screenshot-based discourse, um, it also <laughs> kind of breaks my heart a little bit how much harder it is to source and link those posts. Like, it's much, much harder to find the origin of an image, I think, particularly in a screenshot of text, than it is a forum post, which at least you could, you know, do like a Boolean search on, on Google and like use quotation marks and find the oldest version of it. Mm-hmm. I have to rely on stuff like Know Your Meme to trace the origin of memes. And even then it's it's unclear because the image just gets, you know, redoubled and like pixelated so many times. Yeah, it's a nightmare. <laughs> if I'm honest, <laughs> as, as an academic and uh, an historian who really believes in like hunting down her sources. I mean, a lot of my actual work at Polygon is just like reading stuff that people have said on the internet and then double checking it and finding sources. And if I can't find a source for it, if I can't find a primary source, then it doesn't, it's not real. And I could spend all of my time correcting Wikipedia and uh, and double and like removing links to things that are have sources hypothetically, but those source links are dead or they say something different or they don't say what they think they say. It's just like it's a nightmare. <laughs> it really nightmare. is. The internet is a, a mire field. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And every every once in a while I'm seeing people start to talk about this more, at least on Twitter, about people posting things without sources and people just being like that sounds right and it makes me feel good so i'm going to retweet it yeah yeah or or like people who have blue check marks and are are hypothetical sources of authority um tweeting things and then coming back and like that tweet gets twenty thousand retweets and then coming back and being like oh actually this was incorrect and that one getting a hundred retweets and it's like (laughs) just no love for fact checking on twitter Yeah, you're like, come on, guys. Just like it's a quick Google search to find out that this is just blatantly untrue. Just a quick one. But every time I do see a a, a a reply to a tweet that is like, here is the source. I'm just like, yes, yeah. did it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. It's just a relief that somebody is checking. <laughs> it really is. But that, I mean, that's kind of what I like about creepypastas. Like, it doesn't matter. It's a fucking, it's a, like a, a goofy internet creepy sco- story. So it's like, it's it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. There are so few low stakes topics of, uh, that we can discuss or that involve like uh, internet analysis or discourse that is just like a ah, few, like one of one of the few that we can just kind of talk about. And it's like a fun and creepy hobby. Yeah. I mean, until it's not because I mean, I feel yeah. like we're going to get to this point in the conversation anyway. But like when the creepy pasta gets too big, and then mainstream media like knows about it, like the Momo challenge shit that was Ugh. happening. Oh, boy. I was just yeah. thinking about that. I was like, I okay, could good. sense I could sense it coming <laughs> up in this conversation. It's dark mm-hmm. presence watching over us. Oh, such a creepy photo. Just yeah. a terrible, terrible photo yeah. that I had to see on the internet all the time for like <laughs> three months straight. 
Yeah. Oh, I mean, boy. I mean, that's a really good example of something that I think is like creepy pasta adjacent because you have this screenshot of this thing that undeniably exists. It is an object, and then you remove it from its context. And context is the king. I would love for us as a culture to return to loving context uh, mm -hmm. as much as I personally love context. We yeah. have this image, and you strip it of its context, and then you say, yeah, some uh, person killed themselves after they looked at it. Spooky. <laughs> it's like, it's very easy. And I think the thing that, I guess, mentally differentiates that from creepypasta from me is that there's so, so little effort into making that realistic. Like a really beautifully crafted Ted the Caver website or a Dionata house, which is the story about like this one house that has many entrances in many states. But if you, anytime you enter, you're entering this one Dionata house. Extremely cool. It's so good. But that was like a series of blog posts and emails, like very ARG kind of energy. Yeah. Um, Like clearly a lot of craftsmanship went into making this complex story. And you don't, <laughs> you don't need that anymore. You don't yeah. need eight websites with 20 different characters talking and emails and forum posts to sell a story anymore. You just need a screenshot of a spooky sculpture and somebody saying, hey, I heard such and such. I appreciate the effort that goes into the like original yeah. creepypastas, like people like spending actual time to make like what is basically an art piece. You know, or like at least like a storytelling experience. And then as opposed to like the one screenshot being like, oh, yeah, this this happened. I heard from some teenagers in the Midwest or something to that effect. <laughs> I'm reminded of, oh, man, that was like three or four years ago now. The uh, like illustrator Adam Ellis, who used to work for BuzzFeed. Uh, doing the Dear Daniel, I think, yeah. was what it was called. And that went on for months and was, like, very beautifully crafted, like, to the point where, like, people were extremely invested. And then he kind of <laughs> just ended it with, like, hey, I got a book deal. And we're like, God damn it, dude, stick the landing first. Come on. <laughs> yeah. But it was, like... People were invested and that was good storytelling. And like he was making videos and like uh, pictures and stuff like that. It was very cool. Yeah, I, I remember absolutely following along with that forever um, because I something that I like about ghost stories, I don't believe in anything. I don't believe in ghosts. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in anything supernatural in the least bit. Uh, and so when I read ghost stories, what I'm really interested in is like, do you believe this or are you having us on? And so with yeah. Adam Ellis, that was really interesting because I was like, I think you're having us on because you are a creator by trade. This is one of your platforms. So I think I think this is uh, you're having one on us. Uh, and then as it got as he started producing more artifacts, I was like, OK, Adam, mm -hmm. this is uh, but it was still a heck of a lot of fun to see how it sort of spirals out. And that's one of those things where it's like that, again, almost captures the creepy pasta energy. But it, we we know Adam Ellis did it. <laughs> he was in yeah. no way trying to hide what he was doing. And the fact that it ended with a book deal is, again, not surprising. I think there was a certain turning point in Ted the Caver that kind of came with Dianeta House in like the... Oh, late 2000s, where I they were like, actually, we, this is fake and we're trying to get a movie deal. <laughs> I, I get it, it. I think some movies were made. But now you, you also have like Channel Zero. I've not heard of that one. So it's a it's from it's a, a shutter exclusive TV mm. show that they, they produced um, called Channel Zero. And every every um, every season, I think. I haven't watched a ton of it. Has uh, is based on a different creepypasta. Oh, fun. So it's this weird, interesting way of like cacheting this 
internet <laughs> phenomenon into more more recognized mainstream media. Oh, and they did the first installment on Candle Cove. So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. that's how I know it because I watched the Candle Cove bit. It had some good stuff. How was it, by the way? It was good? Some part, I, I, I never finished it. I never finished <laughs> watching it. We won't, we won't tell them. We won't email them this episode being like, Jenna never heard it. Like, <laughs> never, never finished it. <laughs> um, it had some, it definitely added a bunch of stuff to the, the lore because I mean, it had to because it was a television series, which is essentially <laughs> just a different format and a different medium. So they added a bunch of stuff. I liked the stuff that they added. They added a very creepy tooth monster. <laughs> Which Fun. <laughs> if you Google Channel Zero is probably what you will see is very it's very good and upsetting. Um, cool, cool. Yeah, I uh, I love the example of Dear Daniel here because it was such a good Twitter thread. You yes. know, like the the timestamps. You know, like the the timing, the media that was attached, just the kind of thoughts and bursts. Like you felt as if you were hearing one side of somebody's like panicked conversation as they like call you in the middle of a you know a moment of crisis. And that is something too that I love when I see like even if I see a screenshot of you know a a Tumblr like exchange like buried in the replies somewhere else. I'm like that's a good Tumblr post, you know. And I <laughs> I really love the kind of like platform specific you know styles and quirks that we have. And I. I hope that isn't lost. Like there is something about a, you know, a Reddit post that is very different to an ask on Tumblr that is very different to a tweet um, or, you know, a, a story reply on Instagram. And I, you know, as much as exhausting as it is, I think to continue keeping up with new things as they pop up, particularly if that wasn't like the pace of development of your formative years using the internet. I just love it. And to me, it's like, I'm such a fan of genre and I don't want to lose the genre, you know, of like, <laughs> of Tumblr post, of Reddit post, of Instagram post. Yeah, that gosh, that's such a great point, especially because, yeah, like with the Dear Daniel thread, it's you can see it. There's no way to fake that thread on Twitter. Like you can screenshot yeah. it and fake uh, whatever you want elsewhere. But like on Twitter, you can just click and it's baked into the, to the interface of seeing like the progression of this, the date, the timestamps. But yeah, like you're saying, you don't, Tumblr doesn't really have timestamps or they're not like super visible if they do. So they super do not. People retweet <laughs> news from like 2016 all the time. One of my favorite Tumblr conventions is like a, a reblog that then the only comment is like, this is from 2015 or something. Yeah, or, you know, that. like it's four years later. <laughs> And this is how I feel. And even if it's not true, sometimes I don't care. That's great. Like, it's wonderful. On on Dear Daniel, there are a couple times where, where uh, Adam replied and he was like, ah, fuck, like I dropped the chain before like replies were baked into the architecture of Twitter. Like, I'm going to start again. And I was like, whether or not you intended that or it was a genuine mistake as you were like pasting things from your text file, it feels like Twitter. It like that makes it feel so true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's something so wonderful about that kind of emergent media play that you can hypothetically have on these platforms, but that are often so baked into, I don't know, I'm about to make myself sad. They're often so <laughs> baked into lying yeah, <laughs> and, and not yeah. just like, that, that's the thing is like, I guess for me, because I don't believe in any of these stories, like I don't believe in Jack the Killer or whatever. I don't believe in in Squidward suicide attempt. Like so, it's like seeing those. I'm like ah, a fake thing that I can enjoy. Whereas yeah, like yeah. so so much of the equivalent stuff on Twitter or Reddit is just lying, and they might be lying for a joke, but without context for that, without context to understand that it's a joke or that the person who's creating it is joking. It becomes this weird, horrible thing that just spreads so far and so wide. I don't know. I'm thinking about, do you guys remember, this is a couple years ago, uh, the Millie Bobby Brown, there was that thing, that weird, horrible Twitter rumor that Millie, uh, that she was uh, homophobic. Do you guys remember that? I don't, yeah. but... 
That feels like something Twitter would say. Let me let me preface this by saying it was lies. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> wasn't true. She's a lovely person, but it was this thing where it was this weird in joke amongst this very small group of people on Twitter who didn't think anybody was listening or paying attention and forgot that Twitter was a public space and that you yeah. post something, it can go anywhere. And so they made all these jokes about how Millie Bob Bobby Brown was homophobic. Again, she is not. And then people outside of this joke latched onto it and started spreading it. And then she started getting a bunch of backlash for this thing that was nothing. Yeah. I think about that a lot in, in terms of how things can escape on social media when, without us realizing it. For sure. Absolutely. It brings me back to the idea of the, oh, my cousin almost got abducted at the mall in Minnesota thing again. I don't know. Because that's what they told me. That's what my cousin said. <laughs> and like it, it, ha it just all of a sudden that one screenshot of someone's notes app or like a, a fake text that they faked from their quote unquote cousin that has like 20,000 like retweets and all of a sudden the, the Bella twins on uh, Instagram <laughs> are talking about how like human trafficking is a problem and you're like i mean yeah it not is like but like not because of this twitter piece that someone posted that's probably fake it's just it's a lot the internet's a lot huh it's a mess it's a mess maybe and i don't mistake. know what to do about it <laughs> maybe the internet was a mistake i feel like um in the way that i think once you realize you're queer you look back at your your childhood and you're like ah yes everything makes sense now i feel that about being a like a professional creator um and thinking back on my fandom history and how i grew up in fandom and like that was the the internet the sort of like you know live journal early era like pre pre-russian acquisition era live journal that i that i grew up in there was always knowledge that like that everything you put out there you are a creator and if you're you know like damaging somebody if you're like being you know rude to somebody else in the comments of their fic like people click on your username and they see you and then that'll impact the way that they view your writing and whatever like you can collaborate with people you can be their beta reader like there's lots of ways that i don't know like you are a part even if you're just kind of a consumer in the community unless you're a full lurker like you're a participant you are a, a member and you know whatever lucky you're not like that was my own experience. So I feel like I never had to come to the realization of like, oh, shit, things I put on the internet have consequences. <laughs> but I think if everybody thought of themselves as a creator and like the the ethics that go along with that, we may be in a little bit of a better place. Like I, I'm hesitant of anybody introducing, I don't know, solutions to internet wide issues. <laughs> but I do think that, you know, taking like everybody has is a platform has a platform like everybody is a creator like they're you know you you have a perspective an influence um and certainly the ability for people to see what you're doing and you know hang out go wild in your you know your private groups and your group texts and all of that because there is the context of those people know who you are <laughs> and I don't know. I just uh, toward a toward a creator centric, you know, like self view <laughs> model. Uh, that would be my um, my paper title. <laughs> yeah, I think it, what you're saying about live journal is especially interesting because, like, the time at which I was doing live journal fandom bullshit heavily overlaps with the time I was doing getting into like creepy pasta. Yeah, but I never remember reading any creepy pasta on live journal, mm. and I think it's it is part of what you're saying is like that. It was such a and this early moment of like before really before web 2.0 conceptually hardened into yeah. everything on the internet is made by somebody it was just this sort of like nice place where you were trying to make friends 
as yourself the real person that exists in the world, not as um, this weird internet persona that could potentially get famous or get rich because you're on the internet. So it, I think LifeJournal, at least for me, maybe it's just because I was young. It was so much less performative and it was so much more earnest. No, I feel that. Absolutely. And it was a bunch of like librarians and professional archivists being <laughs> like, hello, this is the metadata. This is how we are going to introduce all fix. This is where you can read your warnings, your descriptions, your categories, your tags. And uh, let's move on with ourselves. And it's just like, <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I would love to go from kind of conversations of individual creators uh, for creepypastas and talk a little bit. You mentioned before uh, SCP Foundation. Ooh, yeah. And I think it would be really interesting to talk about that as a collaborative collaborative storytelling experience because I know it started off as like 4chan thread and stuff like that and then kind of grew into basically an extended universe of of writing and articles and stuff like that if you want to talk a little bit more you are probably more of an expert than I am. Huh? I, well, I actually didn't know that about where SCP found what was first first originated at. Mm -hmm. I think I found SCP like not too long after it had started to become a thing, but a little bit before it really popped off. Mm -hmm. um, but for, for anybody who's listening who does not know what SCP is, it uh, stands for, oh, I always forget this, sec Secure, Contain, Protect. I think I'm going to double check because I have the Wikipedia article in front of me. Oh, great. Special containment procedures. Oh, okay. Uh, I think that I think the thing I said was their slogan. Anyway, it what it actually Probably. what it actually is, is a kind of like a Wikipedia setup of this fictional quasi governmental agency that goes around the world and um, snatches up unusual paranormal objects, um, which is the plot of about 20 sci-fi original shows, I know. Just everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this has been going on since like the, the 2000, like the late 2000s. So I think it predates a lot of that. I, a lot of them skew horror. Um, some of them are, are jokes. <laughs> some of them are just joke <laughs> entries and some of them are, are a kind of sci-fi fantasy. But a lot of them skew horror. So it it's a lot of the same energy as a creepypasta. But it's basically like anybody can write a thing much like a regular Wikipedia, it just anybody can step up and write something uh, and other people can edit it uh, once it gets approved, basically. It's a part of this giant, massive collection of like short stories. Yeah, it's extremely cool. And they do uh, vary from like stuff like a, a staircase that never ends. And then another one is a, a toaster that can only be referred to in first person. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, those are very different things. <laughs> I guess they kind of fall under the same category of being like weird <laughs> happenstances and uh, objects, but you're like, oh, okay, someone just was having fun today with the toaster, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they interact in weird ways. My my favorite, this is not an interact one, I just thought of it, but my favorite SCP is one of the joke SCPs, and it's one of the like top rated ones, so it's really easy to find if you go looking, um, but it's just like, uh, it's just a rock that like, I think makes it, people procrastinate. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll finish this entry later, and that's just yeah. <laughs> very good. It's really it's just a great punchline. It's like setup punchline done. It's so good. <laughs> so it's awesome. just like they they vary pretty widely. There's a lot of like monsters, and there's like uh, weird objects in that interact with each other. So like you'll have entries that'll like cross reference other entries and be like, yeah, uh, we did a science experiment to see if this thing could kill this other thing, and it couldn't. <laughs> we just made that first thing stronger. Uh, uh, and so it's a lot of stuff like that, which rules. 
Amanda, I think there's one I'm looking at right now that I, you would appreciate. Yes. Which is a Ikea retail store that has an infinite interior space with no outer physical bounds, causing yes. prospective customers to be trapped after they become lost within the pocket dimensional world. Extremely good. <laughs> Extremely good. That's really good. There's actually a horror novel based on that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's... Oh, really? I'm curious which came first. Um, it's called Horror Store, but the store is spelled S-T-O-umlaut R. Hey, Incredible. Yes. Like really just ripping into Ikea there. Huh? Not <laughs> yeah. even trying to hide it. Um, so there's that one. I think there's also a second. I, I think this is the, yeah, this is the book I'm thinking of. Anyway, I read it and I was like, this was written to be a movie. So I don't know why you made this a book, but <laughs> that's fine. I'm so curious which one of these came first. And maybe, I mean, it's possible they share an author. There's no reason why they couldn't. It is. Again, we don't know because we don't know the authors for a lot of these. Yeah. That's that's the problem. Horror Store, the book was 2014. Though I do feel like if there was a book beforehand, people would have been like, um, this internet post is based on a book. So maybe it's the other way around. Well, SCP, though, is the thing is just like it's I think it I think it has very loose copyright because you're mm. you're meant to write. You're meant to build on this. So yeah. uh, I don't think you can like use any of them for because like control. So control the video game that I was talking about earlier is clearly an SCP style foundation like it's clearly an scp style government quasi-government organization Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um that is in this just like endlessly uh giant building that some parts of it are outdoors even though they definitely physically can't be that sort of thing Mm -hmm. but it doesn't actually use any specific scp items it's just kind of the concept of scp is clearly clearly informed the writing and and the objects that you find in this game and the way everything is set up Sure. But like you said, there's also like eight sci-fi channel original shows that are very similar concepts. So I feel like it's something that people have been iterating on for a while outside of the internet. Yeah. I mean, SCP itself is just like downstream of Indiana Jones, that giant yep. warehouse where you just, yeah. that's, you, you have to store all this metaphysical bullshit somewhere. So Which sci-fi channel made a TV show based on that as well. So, you yeah. know, it is what it is. Warehouse 13. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. And that one um, season finale of X files where they finally are in the room and then it gets blown up i think spoilers yeah it's classic <laughs> i don't know if you have to spoiler alert x files but i guess it's good that you did i said it afterwards so it's it's mostly functioning as a joke there <laughs> <laughs> but it is just it's i mean horror has always built upon as a genre has always built upon its predecessors much more significantly and visibly than i think a lot and again that's just because like so much of horror is about uh pretending that the thing you're saying is true in order to lean into the horror so like i mean like even dracula is written as an epistolary so it's like it's not written as a novel it's written as a series of letters and newspaper entries and if that yeah that's exactly what creepypasta is cribbing but they're just doing different monsters Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also making me want to go back to grad school, tracing the line between uh, Dracula and Frankenstein all the way through to, uh, to SCP. Oh, man. Now I can just do it in my head or as a uh, Tumblr post that is screenshotted and posted on Reddit and then linked to on Twitter. <laughs> Jenna, thank you for joining us. Is there anything else about Creepypasta or about just stuff you love online that we did not ask you about or that you want to share? This is your platform. This is your moment. No, I'm glad got to talk about this this is something one of those things where like if i had continued with my grad studies i definitely would have written multiple play- papers on an scp um because it's just, or or on, on creepypasta in general just because it's so fascinating but i never get to talk about it in my day-to-day because i'm always doing video game stuff and although there's control there's just not a lot of connection to the big beautiful horrifying world of internet lies 
Well, uh, this is what we are here for. So <laughs> please, uh, if folks don't know who you are, please let us know where they can follow you and find your work online. So you can find me at, on Twitter at the Jenna, just one word. You can also find me. I stream on Twitch uh, at the underscore Jenna. Uh, and I stream a lot of like I stream art, I stream video games. Oftentimes I'll stream horror games because I love them and I like to play them. Um, but those are the best places to find me right now. Heck yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jenna. This was such a great conversation. I was like, I'm not sure I'm not going to have like enough to talk about for creepypastas. And then <laughs> it wasn't an issue. And then I there talked is. so much you didn't even have to worry about it. No, it was perfect. <laughs> it was perfect. You're perfect. Yeah. Well, everybody, we hope you enjoyed. And remember, stay creepy. Stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors at betterhelp.com slash spirits. You can get 10% off your first month of counseling at calm.com slash spirits. You'll get 40% off a calm premium subscription and at thirdlove.com slash spirits. You can get 20% off your first order. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just one dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.